Hi, welcome to another episode of When the Scriptures Become Real. In a podcast where we learn, where we study, where we grow, and we try to become the best versions of ourselves uh, for the Lord as we do so. I know I haven't posted lately. I'm sorry for that. It's been really busy, but we've had a lot of great works here, as I hope that you have uh, where you are. Um, so I'm going to try to keep posting at least once a week or once every two weeks uh, so we can continue to get um, some good content uh, out there. Uh, we've had some great responses even from this podcast. So continue to pray for me as I will uh, for you and your works where you are. What we want to talk about today in our podcast is have you looked at your heart? Have you looked at your heart lately? You know, the Bible gives us plenty of commands to examine ourselves to see whether we're in the faith. And the scripture, uh, it defines itself as a mirror, as we are to look in the, in the law of liberty to see where we stand and not look at each other. Have you looked at your heart? You know, it's, it's very easy to criticize someone else for what they're doing. It's very easy to uh, look at someone else to see what's right with them, to see what's wrong with them. It's very easy to do both of those things on both sides of the coin. But the hardest part is to look at yourself and to see, okay, what am I not doing? What have I been doing and what can I do better? You know, you have to ask yourself those questions because those are the questions that will really help you to be honest with yourself, to be honest with your Christian walk. You know, we can't keep moving forward if we can't even be honest with ourselves. And that's what we want to look at today. Have you looked at your heart lately? Have you looked at your heart? And what we want to do, and I don't, I hope, I don't think this is going to be too long, but I think the point will get itself across. We're going to look at three examples of, of some hearts. We're going to look at two uh, good hearts and one bad heart. Now, before we get into it, all three hearts have something in common. <clears throat> all three hearts that we're going to study have sinned. All three hearts, we will look at the account of them sinning. So, if we want to compare all three of these hearts, which we will in a second, one common denominator at the beginning for all three of these hearts is each one found themselves in a state of sin, as all of us have before. But the difference between two of them and one of them was two of them realized it and looked at themselves. But the other one, instead of turning inwardly and looking at himself, he turned outwardly to blame someone for why he did what he did. Okay, so we're going to look at that. So, first example. Uh, let's open our Bibles. And again, we want the Bible. We want the Bible to give us our examples. We want the Bible to give us our points. We want the Bible to explain things. Not my own personal stuff. Not my stories. We want the Bible to do it. Okay? So, if you have your Bibles, uh, turn to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. And we all know the account of the prodigal son. And that's what this is. But Luke chapter 15, but we want to look at the heart of the prodigal son, not necessarily the account. We want to dig deep and look at the heart of this young man. Okay. So Luke chapter 15, again, we have the prodigal son and we know from the beginning in the prologue that a man has two sons and one son 
is the older, one son is the younger. One wants his inheritance now. One says, Father, give me what's mine. Please give me what's mine. The father gives it to him, and the son goes out and spends himself in righteous living. Okay, now let's start in verse 13. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country. And there wasted his substance with riotous living. There, verse 13, that is where sin begins. Verse 13, for the prodigal son. He wasted it with riotous living. And when he had spent all there arose a mighty famine in the land, and it began to be in want. And he joined himself to a citizen of that country, and sent him uh, to feed swine. And that he would fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat, and the man gave it to him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread and enough to spare, and I perish? I will arise and go to my father, and say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son, and make me as one of the hired servants. Now, let's think about the heart of the prodigal son. First, it starts off with rebellion. Father, give me what's mine. Give me my inheritance. The father gives him the inheritance. He goes and wastes it with righteous living. Next thing you know, there's a famine. He has no money and he's feeding swine. Now, he's in the mud, in the dirt, in the thicks of sin. But I want you to notice, this is what a good heart does. There, while the prodigal son is in the mud, he could have done one of two things. One, he could have said, I can't believe so-and-so got me into this. I can't believe I trusted so-and-so. I can't believe my father did this or my father said that or my brother said this. He could have found a way to blame somebody else for why he was in that mud. And I guarantee there was probably other people that influenced him. To get where he was. But here's the thing. Even though they influenced him to get there. I want you to notice. He didn't use those people as an out. He said. And the Bible says. In verse 17. And when he came. To himself. In one word. The prodigal son. Self examined himself. You have to be one to look at what you've done and think, was that godly? Did I live the right way? Was I the right example? Or will you come to yourself and say, I should have done better. I should have did this. I should have this. I could have done better. And notice, now that he realizes it, he's humbled. The next verse said, he'll rise and go to his father and he said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and I'm not even worthy to be called one of thy servants. You know what self-examination, if you do it the right way, self-examination always equals humility. Notice who he was. At his father's house, being his father's son, he had a high rank. Now he's not there anymore, and he realizes I'm not even worthy to be called my father's son. I'll be one of his hired servants. If you self-examine the right way, 
you will find that you will always be humbled by God and by your current position in life. But on the flip side, if you don't self-examine yourself, you'll be rebellious and you'll blame other people and you'll get mad at other people instead of doing all that to yourself. You see, the prodigal realized all this was my fault. Yeah, there may have been other people influencing me to do what I've done, but all this is my fault because it all ends with me. I had to do it and I did do it. So it's my fault. And so the prodigal son's heart, he realized and he was humble and he said, this is my fault and I'm humbled and I will go to the person who I've sinned against and tell them how humbling this position was. And so he did that. And so that's a good heart. Now look at the second example. Again, let's take our Bibles. Let's go to uh, let's go to First Samuel. Actually, let's go to Second Samuel. Second Samuel, chapter twelve. Second Samuel, chapter twelve. And here's the second heart we're going to look at. We're going to look at the heart of King David. Now, here in in Second Samuel, chapter twelve. Again, we have Nathan coming to David. Now, what did David do for Nathan to come? Remember, while the kings were to be a battle, David stayed behind. He saw Bathsheba. He thought she was beautiful. A servant went to go get her. He slept with her, then killed her husband, then married her. And all this stuff happened. And David was sneaking and conniving and, and trying to cover his sin up, right? But in chapter 12, Nathan the prophet comes to David. And he's going to tell him this. Let's start in verse 1 of chapter 12. And the Lord said, or the Lord sent Nathan unto David and came unto him and said unto him, There were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing save one ewe lamb. And he brought and nourished up and he grew it together with him and his children. And it ate of his own meat and drank of his own cup and lay in his bosom and was unto him as a daughter. And there came a traveler unto the rich man, and, and he spared to take one of his own flock and his herd to dress for the wayfaring man, but took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was come to him. And David's anger was greatly kindled against this man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, that man that hath done this thing shall surely die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing, and because he had no pity. Stop right there. This is the... How smart and how awesome God is. And also how Nathan said the the parable. Now notice how he set this up. There was this ewe lamb that was so close to this family. But then a man killed this ewe lamb. And David, looking through the eyes of that man. David was able to find wrong. And what this other man did. And notice the Bible says. And David's anger was kindled. He said he shall restore it to him fourfold. And he should do all this. Because this man had no pity on that man's family. You see David. Because that wasn't him. He could realize the wrong in somebody else. But. Notice how Nathan turns the tables. Verse 7. 
But Nathan said to David, Thou art the man. So the same punishment that David was going to give this imaginary man, Nathan said, no, you need to give it to yourself because you're the one who did it. Now, imagine you being David. You could have said one of two things. One, again, you could have found something or someone or some situation to blame why you did what you did, right? Well, Bathsheba shouldn't have been out there. Well, my servant shouldn't have brought her to me. Well, Uriah shouldn't have been. You see, he could have blamed anybody else. And he could have found a way to blame somebody because he got caught. That's the difference on a side note. That's the difference between worldly sorrow and godly sorrow. Worldly sorrow is the fact that you got caught. Now that you got caught, you're going to find other people to go down with you because you got caught. Godly sorrow is whether I've got caught or not. I'm humbled by my sin and I will repent because it's wrong in the sight of God. And godly sorrow recognizes what you've done. Not what anyone else has done. Not anybody else's influence. Not what anyone else has said. Godly sorrow is what have, put your name there, I done. And do I need to repent for doing whatever? That's the difference. Now David here, he got caught. Now he could have stayed in the worldly sorrow. Okay, I'm sorry, I got caught. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have killed uh, her wife. But notice the heart that David has. He had every excuse to stay here. But notice, let's keep going. Uh, Let's continue verse 7. Thus said the Lord God of Israel, I have anointed thee king over Israel, and I have delivered thee out of the hand of Saul. And I gave thee thy master's house, and thy master's wives in thy bosom, and gave thee the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I would moreover had given unto thee such and such things. Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Notice, now Nathan is going to list the things he did. You got caught. You killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. Then you took his wife and you slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. Now therefore, The sword shall never depart from thine house, because you despise me. And thou hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of thine house, and I will take thy wives before thine eyes and give them to thy neighbor, and he shall lie with thy wives in the sight of this son. For thou did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel. And before the sun. Now, imagine you being David. And you're hearing Nathan tell you everything that you know you've done wrong. Now, David, he could have had a worldly heart and just repented just because he got caught. But I want you to notice 
instead of blaming somebody, instead of blaming Bathsheba's beauty, instead of blaming somebody else for why he did what he did. Verse 13, I want you to notice, this is what we have to realize when we find ourselves in sin as these men did. And David said to Nathan, I have sinned. Notice. Did he sin against Bathsheba? Yes. Did he sin against Uriah? Yes. But I want you to notice he got the bigger picture. Yes, I've sinned against those people. But notice, ultimately, I have sinned against God. We have to realize that once we sin, Yes, others may be involved because of the choices that we've made. But ultimately, self-examination says, I disappointed God. I have sinned against God. We have to take sin seriously. And we have to take sin so seriously that we have to recognize and realize how much it really hurts God. I think we've become so callous to it that we've forgotten that sin hurts him. It hurts him. And I shouldn't want to be a part of something that hurts God. But if you have a good heart, you'll realize that. But if you have a bad heart, you'll try to find reason to explain why you've done what you've done instead of owning what you've done. And David here says, I have sinned against God. Now, let's keep going. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord also hath put away thy sin, and thou shalt not die. Stop right there. Let's realize what David did. David murdered, which is a high offense even then, and now it's a high offense. David killed someone's husband. David lied. David did all this stuff. But I want you to notice, even though David did all that, notice how God was ready still to forgive him. You will not die. The Lord forgives you. But does that mean that there won't be consequences? Yes, there will be consequences. But God is always ready to forgive. Now, let's give a warning here. If you have a heart like David, God will forgive you and you will go on your way trying to be better. And that's the goal. To be better. But if you don't have a heart like David... 1,000 trillion percent guarantee this is going to happen. Whether God makes it happen or providentially through something or someone else, it'll be, it'll happen. But verse 12 is very important. If it's not repented of between you and that person or, or whatever, because you did this thing secretly, I will do this before all and before the sun. So God's trying to get us to realize we need to repent 
now on our own unless or instead of unless unless we don't repent on our own God will make it known before everyone and I don't know about you but I don't want my sin known before everyone do you because he said I'll make it known because you did it secretly and if you don't want to repent for it I'll make it known before everyone he'll find a way it, it just it just happens I, he's just because he's God so we have a choice we can either do it on our own or God will make it known and I don't want him to make it known I want to repent and get right and have the good heart now right here's a last example of the bad heart I want you to notice let's go over to 1st Samuel 1st <clears throat> Samuel chapter 15 and here we'll look at uh, the heart of, uh, of another king here we have King Saul <clears throat> now I want you to notice if we start in verse 1 and we're going to read down to verse uh, we'll read verses um, verse 1 through 3 and we'll notice the command that God specifically gives to Saul when he goes uh, to go to uh, the Amalekites verse 1 of chapter 15 the Bible says Samuel also said unto Saul the Lord has sent me to appoint thee to be king over the over his people and over Israel. Now therefore hearken unto the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus said the Lord God of hosts, I remember that when Am when Amalek did to Israel, how he laid wait for him in the way, and he came from Egypt. Now, here's the command. Now go and smite Amalek, and utterly destroy all that they have, and spare them not. Slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. That's the command. You slay everything. Don't bring anything back. No survivors. Cool. Great. So, Saul goes and he gathers him. Now, I want you to notice. Let's jump down to verse 7. And Saul smote the Amalekites from Havelah. Until thou comest to Shur, and that is over against Egypt. So he sounds like he's actually following the command up till now, right? It said he smote the Amalekites, and that was the command given in verse 1 through 3. Saul, great job. But verse 8 is where he gets out the way. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive did God say take anybody alive he said destroy everything and everybody but Saul took the king and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword and Saul uh, verse 9 but Saul and the people spared Agag and watch this and the best of the sheep and the best of the oxen, and the fatlings, and the lamb, and all that was good, and watch, and would not utterly destroy them. But everything that was vile, and refused, but they destroyed utterly. God said destroy everything, but Saul takes the king, and he takes the best of everything. 
now, I want you to notice what happens here. Now, let's jump down uh, to verse uh, verse 16. Now, Samuel, Saul comes back and has all this stuff. And Samuel hears sheep. Samuel hears oxen. Wait a second. Didn't the Lord say destroy everything? Why am I hearing this? I shouldn't be hearing this because God said destroy everything, right? Now, notice what Samuel says to Saul. Verse 18, and the Lord sent thee on a journey, and he said, Go and destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they be consumed. Wherefore, then didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord? But you did fly upon the spoil, and you did evil in the sight of the Lord. Now, here Samuel tells Saul his sin. You have sinned against God. Because you didn't do exactly what he said. Now, well, Nathan, or not Nathan, David and the prodigal son, when they realized their sin, they did the right thing. And they repented because they realized what they personally done was wrong. But verse 20, here's the flip side of what someone else will do when they realize something they've done is wrong. Here's the flip side. And Saul said unto Samuel, after Samuel told him, you're in sin, Saul said to Samuel, but yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. Have you, have you, Saul? Last time we read, Samuel said, destroy everything. How are you going to say that you obeyed God when you've done the exact opposite of what God told you to do. Notice how delusional he is. Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, and I have gone the way which the Lord hath sent me. And I have brought back Agag, the king of Amalek, and I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. Notice how he starts to twist the Lord's words. I obeyed the voice of the Lord. I went exactly where God told me to go. Yeah, I brought back the king, but I destroyed everybody else. Notice he twists the Lord's command. That's not what God told you to do. Verse 21. Here's what else he said. But the people took of the spoil and the sheep and the oxen and the chief things which should be, which should have been a, what? Wait a second. Notice he's contradicting himself. If Saul knew that God said destroy everything and the people took it as king, why didn't he tell them destroy it? Why? Because Saul wanted it. And he used the people as a scapegoat. Well, if I get caught, I'll just say the people did it, but I know the command of the Lord, so I'll just blame it on somebody else. That's what the other side of the bad heart's going to do. I'm going to find somebody else to blame. I'm going to use someone else as a scapegoat. So when I go down, or if I go down, someone else is going to take the blame in this with me and not just me. That's what a bad heart does. A bad heart, instead of taking the blame and realizing what I've done, me, 
Somebody else is going to take the share of why I've done what I've done. I ain't going down by myself. That's the attitude of a bad heart. I can't take it. And that's childish, it's foolish, and it's sinful. And that's exactly what Saul did right here. Keep going. Uh, and he sacrificed unto the Lord by God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices than obeying? God didn't want these sacrifices. He wanted you to destroy everything. Notice, verse 23, For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Watch this. Watch this. Watch it, guys. And stubbornness as iniquity and idolatry. This side of the coin, a heart like Saul, the Bible says, if the Bible can say it, I will not be afraid to say it either. You are stubborn and it's worse than iniquity and idolatry if you try to blame somebody else of why you've done what you've done. That's what the Bible says. It's, it's stubbornness. And because you reject the word of the Lord, he will reject you from being king. I don't know about you, but I don't want God to reject me because I can't be man enough or woman enough to repent before God. The God is He will reject you. Doesn't matter who you are. Saul was king. David was king. Doesn't matter who you are. God will reject you. And I don't want anybody to be rejected from God. Now notice what Saul does. And Saul said to Samuel, I've sinned. Notice, he just says, I have sinned. He didn't say who he have sinned against. You noticed the prodigal son and you notice David. They both say they sinned against their father. They've sinned against God. Saul here, he's just sorry he got caught. And so, in order to look good in front of Samuel, all right, I've sinned. Whoa, are you just saying that just to say it? Or have you sinned against God? Keep going. I've transgressed the commandment of the Lord and thy words because I feared the people and I obeyed their voice. Now, therefore, I pray thee, pardon my sin and turn again with me that I may worship the Lord. Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with thee. For thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord hath rejected thee from being king. And Samuel turned about to go away, uh, and he laid hold upon the rent of his mantle, and it rent. And Samuel said, The Lord hath rent the kingdom of Israel from me this day, and has given it to a neighbor of thine that is better than thou. And also the strength of Israel will not lie nor repent, for he is not a man that he should not repent. Notice, after Samuel says, I'm not going to return with you. And after Samuel lays all these consequences down, then verse 30, then he says, I've sinned again. But notice, he still doesn't say, I have sinned against God. He's still trying to cover up this sin. Notice, he's trying to get his honor back. 
He's just saying, I've sinned, so I won't, my kingship won't be taken away from me. But here, look what he says. I have sinned, but yet honor me. Honor me because I said I sinned. Honor me now, I pray thee, before the elders of my people and before Israel, and turn again with me that I may worship the Lord thy God. And Samuel turned after Saul, and Saul worshiped the Lord. And then Samuel said, Bring ye hither to me Agag, the king of the Amalekites. And Agag came to him delicately. And Agag said, Surely the bitterness of death is past. And then verse 35, And Samuel came no more to see Saul until the day of his death. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul, and the Lord repented that he made Saul king over Israel. Because I wasn't repenting for the right reasons. I repented because I got caught and I repented so I wouldn't lose my position of king. Which heart do you have? Is your heart like David? Is your heart like the prodigal? Who realize what you have done and you've repented unto God or are you like Saul? All three hearts common denominator all of them were in sin but two of them realize I'm in sin because of me but one of them said I'm in sin because somebody else I hope you don't have that heart and I'll be honest with you, when I was studying this, and every time I heard Saul, it's kind of scared me reading through this. Because growing up, and even, even now, sometimes it's tough. This heart of Saul, at times, I could relate to the heart of Saul. Because at times, instead of taking the blame, I tried to find a way to not take the blame. And when I did that, it never worked. Never did. But when I took the blame, and when I realized what I'd done, I realized that that's true repentance. I'm not doing this, um, you know, this lesson specifically for something, for someone. I'm doing it for me. And I hope this helps you. Because I don't want to have this heart of Saul. I don't want to just repent because I got caught. I want to repent because I know I've sinned against God. That's the difference. So have you looked at your heart lately? If you need to repent, it's hard and it's difficult. But it's necessary. Repent. And I guarantee you, people are afraid to repent because they're afraid of what other people will think. Well, you said this, you did this. I can't believe it. I don't care what anybody else thinks. And I hope you don't either. If you need to repent before God, repent. No matter what anyone else thinks or says or will say about you. You just need to repent because you need to get your life in line with God.
and maybe by you repenting, they will too. Have you looked at your heart lately? I hope your heart has a godly sorrow where you repent because you know personally that you could have done better and you've sinned against God and that you want to do better. But I hope you don't have that worldly sorrow heart to where you repent because you got caught or you try to blame someone else for why you did what you've done or you just repent just so you won't lose your position as Saul did here. In 1 Samuel. Take this heart away today. And use this heart. And make sure. That no matter what. That your heart. Stays right. With God. Thank you so much.